book of 2 Chronicles chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter 7, verse 14, which is printed in your bulletin as your scripture memory verse for uh, this week. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now turn over into the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians beginning in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." Well, it's hard to go through this week uh, not hearing about Christmas, obviously, which is probably what you thought I was going to say, but it really isn't. Uh, It's also hard to go through this week without hearing about Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty. Uh, As you no doubt doubt know, which Duck Dynasty... uh, from what I read, is the most popular uh, show in cable TV history. Uh, He's been fired by the A&E Network uh, for proclaiming God's word and in an interview. Now, that's not the first time A&E has shown their hostility to Christianity. At the end of each episode, the Robertson family, if you've ever watched Duck Dynasty, uh, they gather around the dinner table and Phil leads them in prayer, uh, ending with the name of Jesus Christ. A&E started editing, editing that part out. And uh, when Phil found out, he told him to either put the name of Christ back into the prayer or that would be the end of Duck Dynasty. And uh, he, uh, he's an elder, by the way, in his church in uh, uh, Louisiana. Well, A&E folded. They may hate Christ, but they love money even more. And Duck Dynasty is a huge, huge money machine uh, for the network. The January 2014 issue of Gentleman's Quarterly magazine contains an interview with Phil in which he was asked what he considers to be sinful. He responded uh, in part, everything, quote, everything is blurred on what's right and what's wrong. Start with homosexual behavior and just morph out from there. Uh, And he went on and other things and uh, said it's basically uh, illogical. Uh, And then he paraphrased Corinthians Don't be deceived, neither the adulterers, the idolaters, the male prostitutes, I'm quoting here from Phil's statement, the homosexual offenders, the greedy, the drunkards, the slanderers, the swindlers, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Don't deceive yourself, it's not right. Continuing with the quote, I myself am a product of the 60s. I centered my life around sex, drugs, and rock and roll until I hit rock bottom and accepted Jesus as my savior. 
My mission today is to go forth and tell people about why I follow Christ and also what the Bible teaches, and part of that teaching is that women and men are meant to be together. We never, ever judge someone on who's going to heaven or hell. That's the Almighty's job. We just love them, give them the good news about Jesus, whether they're homosexuals, drunks, terrorists. We let God sort them out later. However, I would never treat anyone with disrespect just because they are different from me. We are all created by the Almighty, and like him, I love all of humanity. We would all be better off if we loved God and loved each other, end quote. And that, of course, was a huge, huge big deal. At the end of the interview, Phil told the writer, if you simply put your faith in Jesus coming down in the flesh through a human being, God becoming flesh, living on the earth, dying on the cross for the sins of the world, being buried and being raised from the dead, yours and mine's and everybody else's problems will be solved. And the next time we see you, we will say, you are now a brother, our brother. So then we look at you totally different then. The Robertson family really believes strongly that if the human race loved each other and they loved God, we would just be better off. We ought to just be repentant, turn to God, and let's get on with it, and everything will turn around. The day after that interview was published, the A&E Network fired him, saying in a statement, quote, his personal views in no way reflect those of A&E Networks who have always been strong supporters and champions of the LGBT community. For those of you who don't keep up with gay terminology, LBGT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transvestite. So we live in a society that just adores the Kardashians and Lady Gaga and Miley Cyrus, but condemns Phil Robertson. It's, as Phil pointed out, not only is homosexuality sin, it's not logical. It's not logical that God would tell Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply if he approved of homosexuality. Of course, not being logical is sinful, but that's, that's another sermon. Homosexuality is the practice of death because it results in the death of the human race, logically, right? Proverbs 8.36, but he that sins against me hurts his own soul, and all that hate me love death. Yeah, for years I was mystified by that verse. How can somebody love death? If you think about people who advocate abortion, people who advocate homosexuality, uh, if you just kind of let your mind think about things like that, what are they doing? They're really advocating things that are death, that lead to death. All that hate me love death. A society of homosexuals would last one generation to be extinct, right? So that's why that lobby is so aggressive in pushing for societal acceptance and intolerance of those who believe it's sinful to the point of outlawing criticism of it in many countries, which is their goal in the United States. They have to, re they have to recruit converts in each generation, because they don't have children to carry on their crusade, they have to convert. So they have to change the laws to not only prohibit discrimination, but encourage their practices. As the Bible tells us in Romans 1.32 about them, and, and others, of course, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. See, they just don't want to be left alone and uh, 
be not discriminated against, they have to convert or they'll die. There, I don't have to go through all of the verses. I have them here from the Bible about homosexuality and why it's sinful, but you, you don't need to hear. Well, you know, we hear the word of God, of course, but you don't need to, to know the fact that it need to be proven that the, the Bible condemns it. Um, Ephesians 5.12, Romans 1.26, go back to Leviticus. A lot of people argue, well, that doesn't apply and all. Well, then let's just take the New Testament, if you will. It does apply. It's written by the same God. Uh, and it was never been uh, never been abrogated. It's been reinforced in the New Testament. But if Phil Robertson and his think about this, if Phil Robertson and his family were Muslims, and he said the same things, do you think the media would even dare report it? Do you think A and E would make a peep about it? No. We have to be tolerant, don't we? we? Have to be tolerant of every belief as long as it's anti-Christian. Now, why is it that? the religions of the world, the belief systems of the world, don't all gang up against Islam and pass laws discriminating against it, or Hinduism, or Buddhism, or Shintoism, or Wicca, or any faith except Christianity. Could it be that they're afraid of the Bible? Could it be that all the religions of the world except biblical Christianity and all the belief systems, the religions, including secular humanism, are in fact tools of Satan? Could it be that this fact alone, that despite all of their differences, they come together against the God of the Bible? Could it be that that exposes them for what they are, instruments of Satan, and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the worldly governors, the princes of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places? Doesn't that coordinated opposition speak volumes about the truth of Christianity? So what Phil Robertson has done should encourage every one of us, every Bible believer. And A&E's firing should be a wake-up call. And it's happening, by the way. Uh, it's a tremendous outpouring of, of supporters of Phil. So this isn't just a disagreement over beliefs. Phil has drawn a line in the sand. He believes in God's word. A&E has made it clear that they are on the side of the enemies of God's word. Now, there's no question that God hates sin. Homosexuality is clearly called a sin multiple times in the Bible. More than that, though, it is one of the most virulent forms of open rebellion against God. It's not just disbelief in your mind, okay, being a uh, an atheist in your mind, or something like that. Uh, it's overt, vicious rebellion against God. Often we can see what's happening in other countries, and a few years later we see the same things happening in the United States. Um, socialism is one example. Socialized medicine is a very uh, current example. Uh, persecution of Christians is another uh, human, so-called human rights commissions and so-called hate crimes laws are being used to persecute Christians in many parts of the world, in Europe, in Australia, Brazil, the United States, at the local and state level. Hate crimes laws are 
being promoted at the international level by the United Nations. You know, they want to have a, a world hate crime law. Of course, they don't want countries to have their own laws or their own court systems. They want world courts. <coughs> the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled that biblical speech opposing homosexual behavior, including in written form, is essentially a hate crime. Uh, the court upheld the conviction of a man named William Whatcott, W-H-A-T-C-O-T-T, a former homosexual who is now a Christian, who distributed flyers regarding the Bible's prohibitions against homosexuality. He was ordered to pay $7,500 to two homosexuals who took offense at his flyers, as well as to pay the legal fees of the Human Rights Commission that took him to court, which could cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars. He said, quote, it's worse than I expected. What it means is that my life is over as I know it. Joe Carter, writing uh, at a website called the Gospel Coalition, reports the facts from this case that should trouble everybody, believe it or not. Quote, the Canadian Supreme Court ruling also states that suppression of, quote, hate speech, such as claiming that homosexual behavior is immoral, is so important that it justifies infringing on religious freedom and provides a basis for a, quote, this is from the Supreme Court ruling, provides a basis for a, quote, reasonable limit on freedom of religion and is demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. So what the Canadian court said was that adhering to a belief that homosexuality is wrong can now be classified as hate speech punishable as a crime. In other words, the rights of homosexuals now trump all others, even Christians teaching the word of God. Pastors in Canada face a $5,000 fine for the first offense and a fine plus prison time for every offense thereafter. When focus on the family, I was told this by somebody with focus on the family, produces a program that discusses homosexuality, they have to have another program to send to their Canadian stations because if their Canadian stations broadcast that, uh, they would be fined for doing so, be illegal. In 1997, the Ontario Human Rights Commission fined the city of London, Ontario, and its mayor $10,000 for refusing to proclaim Gay Pride Day. It also ordered the mayor, Diane Haskett, to make a public statement praising, quote, the valuable contributions of gays and lesbians to her community, which she refused to do. In 2001, in Toronto, printer Scott Brocky was fined $5,000 for refusing to print homosexual-themed stationery for the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Archives. In 2002, a citizen of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, named Hugh Owens, placed an ad in the Star Phoenix newspaper of Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, that consisted of all, of, all it said was four Bible passages on homosexuality, followed by an equal sign, then a symbol of two stick men holding hands with a red circle and a line through it. Get it? It's all set. A board of inquiry of the Saskatchewan Human Rights Commission found this to be contrary to Section 14, uh, Section 14.1b of the Saskatchewan Human Rights Code as exposing or tending to expose homosexualities to hatred or ridicule or may otherwise affront their dignity. 
citing the scripture references uh, they used, Mr. Owens used. Mr. Owens and the newspaper were ordered to pay each of the three homosexual activist complainants $1,500. This was appealed to the Saskatchewan Queen's Bench, a court of appeal, that they upheld the decision. Uh, thank the Lord, the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal, the highest court there, overturned that. In 2005, a British Columbia Knights of Columbus Council was ordered to pay $2,000 to two lesbians plus their legal costs for refusing to allow its facility to be used for their, quote, wedding. In January 2006, Catholic City Councilman John DeCicchio, D-E-C-I-C-C-O, of Kamloop, British Columbia, was ordered by a court to pay $1,000 to two activists and required to apologize for saying that homosexuality is, quote, not normal or natural. He just said that. He used to find. In June 2008, Stephen Boyson, an evangelical youth pastor from Red Deer, Alberta, was ordered to stop expressing opposition to homosexuality in any public forum and fine $7,000 for damages for pain and suffering to the activist who complained against him. Turning to Sweden, they passed its hate crimes, so-called hate crimes bill in 2002, specifically including church sermons under the law passed to favor homosexuals. The Swedish Chancellor of Justice said, any reference to the Bible stating that homosexuality is sinful might be a criminal offense. Activists monitor sermons and report any criticism of homosexuality to the authorities. Oka Grun, a Swedish pastor, was sentenced to 30 days in jail for preaching what the Bible says about homosexuality. Thank the Lord he was acquitted on appeal, but it cost him a lot of money, cost him a lot of time and suffering. In the UK, it is illegal for a pastor or anyone else to speak out against homosexuality. It is a hate crime. Dale McAlpine, a British street preacher, was not preaching on homosexuality. But he, a passerby asked him what he thought of it, that he said, well, I think it's a sin. That person then went to what the news media called a, quote, gay community support officer who took him to the police station where he was locked in a cell for seven hours and charged with causing, quote, harassment, alarm, or distress. Now, the Christian Institute, which is a British ministry, released hidden camera footage of the arrest. It shows an officer, and then he's joined by three other officers, so there's four police officers, interrogating him. They asked him, what have you been saying homophobic-wise, is one of the questions. McAlpine says that homophobia is hatred toward homosexuals, and he says he's not a homophobic, quote, which is a term they made up, of course. He says he's not there to break any laws and contends he's not, it's not against the law to say homosexual behavior is a sin, but the officer quickly on the tape says it is against the law. Quote, it's a breach of Section 5 of the Public Order Act, the officer says. McAlpine then says he did not speak of homosexuality while preaching to the public. He only mentioned it when he was talking to one individual. He was then arrested. Thankfully, the case was eventually dropped, but not, again, without great pain, suffering, and expense to Mr. McAlpine. If you haven't read George Orwell's book, 1984, you ought to do that. It'll send chills up your spine. Tony Miano, an American evangelist, was arrested and jailed in this year, 2013, in Britain for preaching on what the Bible says about homosexuality. He was interrogated about his faith in Jesus Christ. 
He said, quote, I was asked if I believed homosexuality is a sin. I was asked what portion of the Bible I was reading. I was asked that if a homosexual was hungry and walked up to me, would I give them something to eat? In April of this year, 47-year-old American Sean Holes was preaching in Glasgow, Scotland. Some people stopped to listen and asked him about his views on homosexuality, and he condemned it, and they complained to the police. He was arrested and fined 1,000 pounds. That's more than the penalty for some who commit violent crimes. So make no mistake, stories like this will soon have U.S. deadlines on them. And there's some few that have. And I, you know, this could be a sermon that sent me to prison. We're already seeing it. A photographer in New Mexico was forced to pay $700 in fines for declining to photograph a same-sex commitment service. He was fined. A couple in New Mexico just this week passed so-called gay marriage. A couple in Vermont who own a bed and breakfast refused to let let two lesbians hold a commitment service on the property and had to pay a settlement to them. In 2009, two Houston, Texas evangelists, David Stokes and Dave Allen, were arrested for preaching against homosexuality, and they were tried before an openly lesbian judge. In 2010, a federal judge ruled in favor of Eastern Michigan University which removed Julia Ward, a Christian student, from its graduate program in school counseling because she refused to counsel homosexual clients because of her belief that homosexuality is morally wrong. The university told her she would only be allowed to remain in the program if she went through a, quote, remediation program so that she could, quote, see the error of her ways, unquote, and change her belief system. This is called brainwashing, and the people who do it are called the thought police. Uh, again, read 1984. According to her attorneys, the ruling could result in Christian students across the country being expelled from public universities for holding similar views and acting on them. So approval of homosexuality is therefore now apparently compulsory in some public universities. Christians pay taxes to support universities which forbid Christian students from expressing their beliefs. Senator Ted Cruz says America is going down a dangerous road regarding what is considered, quote, hate speech. He's publicly warned that the next step could be charging pastors with a crime for speaking in support of traditional marriage. Senator Cruz points out, quote, if you look at other nations that have gone down the road toward gay marriage, that's the next step where it gets enforced. It gets enforced against Christian pastors who decline to perform gay marriages, who speak out and preach biblical truths on marriage, and that has been defined elsewhere as hate speech. And I think there is no doubt that the advocates who are driving this effort in the United States want to see that in the same place. I have a friend named Chuck McElhaney. He was pastor of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in San Francisco. And when he publicly preached the gospel to his San Francisco congregation, um, including parts about homosexuality, uh, one night while his family, including his children, were in bed, his house was firebombed. Uh, they barely escaped with their lives. And the fire captain told them, uh, Chuck told, told us this, if the wind had been coming from another direction, they would have died. Chuck told me the police ignored it. No one was ever charged with it. Uh, he wrote a book about his experiences called When the Wicked Sees a City. And I highly recommend you, you read that, When the Wicked Sees a City. 
McElhaney, M-C-I-L-L-H-E-N-N-Y. So we hear a lot about hate crimes. Now, aren't the examples I gave you, and there are many more, hate crimes against Christians? Shouldn't the perpetrators be prosecuted under the same hate crime laws that apply to homosexuals? Why not? Why is the homosexual community so silent when it comes to hate crimes against Christians? It's simple. They hate us. <laughs> For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the worldly governors, the princes of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. As you may know, in 2009, President Obama signed the Hate Crimes Protection Act. A report from World Net Daily said, the homosexual lobby was able to include the world's words sexual orientation to provide special protections to homosexuals, but leave Christian ministers open to prosecution should their teachings be linked to any subsequent offense by anyone against a homosexual. In other words, if you go out today and you attack a homosexual, I could be charged under the hate crimes law for inciting you to do that. Uh, Congresswoman Virginia Fox of North Carolina said the bill will create thought crimes. Congressman Trent Franks of Arizona said it will end equality in the United States. Of course, it's now a law. This is before it was passed. So, uh, Congressman Randy Forbes of Virginia introduced a striking argument. If you remember... Uh, Carrie Prigine, who was uh, uh, running for, uh, she was Miss California and running, I think, for Miss USA. And she was asked, as a couple years ago, was asked by a homosexual judge what her views were, and she was very strongly known as a Christian. So she gave her views, and uh, she was stripped of her crown and everything because she gave her, her views on, on biblical marriage. Well, Congressman Forbes says, what if... If, if Carrie Prejean had slapped the homosexual judge who derided her on the stage, under the new law signed by President Obama, she could be indicted as a violent hate criminal facing a possible 10 years in prison, but if the homosexual judge had slapped her, she would have no special protection under the bill. Andrea Lafferty, the executive director of the Traditional Values Coalition, said, quote, the anti-Christian caucus of the U.S. House of Representatives has acted today to lay the legal foundation and framework to investigate, prosecute, and persecute pastors, youth pastors, Bible teachers, and anyone else whose Bible speech and thought is based upon and reflects the truths found in the Bible. A pastor's sermon could be considered hate speech under this legislation if heard by an individual who then acts aggressively against persons based on, quote, sexual orientation. The pastor could be prosecuted for conspiracy to commit a hate crime, she said. The, this Democrat-controlled Congress has now elevated pedophiles and other bizarre sexual orientations, as well as, and she went on with a long list of those kind of people, uh, to, to the level of protection that, already given to, that is already given to African Americans, Hispanics, and other minorities in the law. Under the specification of the law, a Christian needn't touch a homosexual to face charges. If the person merely claims he was subjectively placed in apprehension of bodily injury by the Christian's words, then the Christian can be thrown in prison to a, by, for a felony hate crime. Under the strictest definition of the law, any preaching against any sin, any sin, could be considered a hate language, and therefore a hate crime. If the pastor preaches against adultery, 
and someone in the, in the, in the congregation is committing adultery, well, they're, they're offended. That's hate, that could be hate speech. How is that not special protection for a group of people who practice certain behaviors? See, when someone receives special protection under the law, it means that not all people are treated equally, right? In that, this case, they're given special protections, and those who commit crimes against them are susceptible to being accused of a hate crime, and therefore they get stiffer penalties all based on the chosen behavior of certain people. So if courts can convict people of hate crimes for telling people what the Bible says about homosexuality, what's next? Will it be a crime to say what the Bible says about adultery? Or anything else you can think of? Crime to say you shouldn't cheat on your taxes? Since 1 Corinthians 1.18 teaches us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, it is offensive to them, how long will it be before sharing the Bible itself will be a hate crime? See, all hate crime laws are thought control. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So the battle lines are clear. There's a concerted effort not to just limit free speech and religious freedoms, but to elevate the rights of these people above all others. That's the ultimate purpose of hate crime laws. It's also the ultimate purpose of these so-called anti-bullying laws. That's the same thing. What's the difference between laws that prohibit discrimination based on race, color, uh, handicap, and such, and the laws that homosexuals want? Very big difference. Race is not a sin. Disability is not a sin. Their practices are Nobody has to practice that. can't change your skin color, but you can change your behavior. Everybody is tempted by various sins. To be tempted is not a sin. To succumb to a sinful temptation is sinful. Someone could make the same arguments they do for anti-discrimination laws favoring polygamists, favoring polyandrists, which is a word I found, by the way. That's when a woman has multiple husbands, called polyandry. Uh, but they could, they could ask for discrimination laws, and there are people who want laws to protect those practices as well, and others, which I won't even too extreme to even talk about. So marriage is a creation ordinance. It was instituted by God between Adam and Eve, and therefore the government can't redefine it. They don't have any jurisdiction over it. It's defined in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And that's, after that, Eve is referred to as Adam's wife. So there was a marriage ceremony. It's not, ceremony is not recorded in the Bible, but, it, but they got married in the Garden of Eden. So that's the definition of marriage. A man will leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. It doesn't talk about two men or two women or some other multiplication. So are you as strong in your faith as Phil Robertson? Would you have the guts to put yourself in a position of losing millions upon millions of dollars to state your faith, and especially about a subject like this, to absolutely go dead, dead up against the culture, this present culture, as he did, when there's 
he could be making millions more dollars by just keeping his mouth shut? Do you have that kind of faith? What have you done recently to show it? Or are you like the proverbial, proverbial frog in a slowly heating kettle that eventually boils to death without even noticing? The most important thing Phil Robertson said is if you simply put your faith in Jesus coming down in the flesh through a human being, God becoming flesh, living on the earth, dying on the cross for the sins of the world, being buried, being raised from the dead, yours and mine and everybody else's problems will be solved. So all the miseries of mankind, all the wars, all the murders, all the family problems, all the natural disasters, all the diseases are the result of sin. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against the Lord and they brought all that into this world and we're still reaping the bitter fruits. Now, our verse in 2 Chronicles 7.14 lays out a very precise formula for the restoration of the nation. If my people, among whom my name is called, do humble themselves and pray and seek my presence, seek my face, face in the King James, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear in heaven and be merciful to their sin and will heal their land. Now listen now. This verse teaches that our land is sick primarily because the church is sick. It's not unbelievers who determine whether God brings blessings on a nation or not. And it's not unbelievers that cause God to curse a nation. It's the indifference of God's people that brings his judgments upon all. Judgments begin against the church first. And what does this say? If my people will do this and this and this, then I will heal their land. 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. If it first begin with us, what shall the end be of them which obey not? The gospel of God. See, what's preached in the pulpits of a nation determines the condition of that nation. If the Bible's preached, if Christ's redemptive work is front and center, People are converted, they're equipped for his service no matter what they're calling, and they glorify him whatsoever you do, do it heartily for the Lord and not unto men, then he blesses that nation. If false gospels are preached, what is a false gospel? Okay, it's God's job to make you happy, make you rich. Uh, he's just sitting up there like a, like a great uh, money dispenser, and all you got to do is let God, you know, let go and let God. Or that it's not really important what you believe about Christ as long as you're happy with what you believe. As long as you're comfortable, it doesn't really matter. Another false gospel, there are many paths to God. Jesus is only one of them. Or that civil governments and more education and more spending money is the answer to social problems. When those false gospels are preached, when the churches are full of false gospels, then unbelief is spread, and God curses that nation. All because the church has left him. Now he says, you want to ignore me? You want to put me out of your homes, your schools, your media, your churches, your civil government? You want to put me out? You want to ignore me? Then I'll ignore you. You want to live without me? I will give you your wish. You'll live without me. You'll see what 
living without the Lord is. Suffer under the curse you brought upon yourselves. Pastor Chuck Baldwin wrote, The major question that now must be answered is how will America's pulpits react to the ever-increasing popularity and political correctness of homosexuality? A further question is, what will America's preachers do when the United States passes a law similar to that of Canada's? We pretty much have. In a way, those questions have already been answered. One can attend churches of virtually every size and type without hearing so much as a peep against homosexuality from the pulpit. Furthermore, I'm told that many televangelists have already suspended any negative comments uh, regarding homosexuality from the programs that are aired in Canada, which I mentioned about focus on the family. If a preacher will alter his sermons for money, why should we believe he would not alter them to accommodate laws against preaching Bible morality? The fact is homosexuality would not have achieved the level of acceptance that it has if preachers had been doing their jobs to proclaim the truth of God's word. Homosexuality would not have achieved the level of acceptance that it has if preachers had been doing their jobs to proclaim the truth of God's word. And he finishes by saying, a desire to be socially and politically popular has silenced most pulpits. We get a lot more people in here if I did a comedy act and made everybody feel good about themselves. And, and uh, as uh, Robert Schuller once said, well, I don't talk about, uh, or Joel Osteen said, I don't talk about sin because it makes people feel uncomfortable. You know, so we, we could be meeting in the, you know, where the Spurs play or something. Uh, but what can we do? You know, what can you do? Again, if my people, among whom my name is called upon, humble themselves and pray and seek my presence and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear in heaven and be merciful to their sin and will heal their land. As we conclude, let's take a moment to pick that apart. We as God's people are commanded to, number one, humble ourselves under God's judgment. That means, among other things, to acknowledge before God that we have brought his judgments upon our nation. Do you believe that? Number two in that verse, we're commanded to pray. Pray for the restoration of the church and the healing of our land. Do you pray for that? How often? What are you going to do specifically starting today to improve? Number three. That verse, we're commanded to seek his presence, seek his face. How do we do that? Through prayer, through reading the Bible, through worship, and worship is individual, it's family, and it's corporate, like we're doing here today. Are you neglecting any of these? What are you going to do specifically starting today to improve that? Number four. We're commanded to turn from our wicked ways. Notice the word ways, plural. It means habitual, ways. We all sin. We often sin without realizing it, but how much of our sin is habitual? Not only sins of commission, but of omission. The ones that the Lord addresses in this verse, neglect of humbling ourselves to recognize that his judgment is is upon our nation. Neglecting of prayer neglecting to seek his presence by studying the Bible as often as possible every day, neglecting worship. And the promise of this verse, if we as God's people do these things, he will hear us and be merciful to our sin and will heal our land.
So make it your prayer that we as God's people turn from our wicked ways may heal our land. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we we do humble ourselves, Father. We come to thee and recognize that that it's primarily us that judgments are being brought against this land, against this nation. That the church has turned, in many ways, turned from thee, that we have not done what we should do as individuals, as families. And we repent of that, Father, and we repent of the the stress of the churches that have gone to the world and to the enemy. Father, we pray for the restoration of the church, the healing of the land. Father, we uh, ask rededication that thou would revitalize our prayer life, our Bible reading, our individual and family and corporate worship, Father that we have daily Bible studies with our family, Father, and memorization, seeking thy faith and to turn from our habitual sins, Father. We cannot do that in our own strength, but, Lord, thy strength is sufficient for us. Father, we beg for that as well. We particularly this morning uh, thank you for the rain that thou hast given us. It's such a blessing, Father, and makes us realize that uh, life on this earth would not exist without water from the Lord. All the plants would die, all the animals would die, all the people would die. All the wells would dry up, all the rivers, streams. So, Father, we thank you for the rain. Father, we uh, pray. remember to pray for uh, Pastor Saeed Abaddon in Iran, who is uh, imprisoned there. And, uh, Lord, uh, protect him from his captors, protect him from the other prisoners, but rather turn his imprisonment into one that glorifies thee, that he would bring many uh, to convert many through the gospel, and that this be, uh, this be like Paul's time in prison, Father, that uh, a great, uh, great revolution, a great uh, uh, revival of the gospel would be, would be instituted by uh, thy servant. Remember him, Father, and support his family as well. Protect us now, Father, as we uh, conclude our worship service, as we fellowship after worship, as we uh, go to our homes. Let us remember that this is the Lord's Day, and that has a name for a reason. Six days we are to labor and do all of our work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath unto the Lord. It is the Lord's Day, not our day. So uh, let us remember that and and guide us in how we are to uh, glorify the end, Father. Again, we pray in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.